Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 78 of the Spoiler Cast. I'm your host, Dan, and I'm joined by Allie. <laughs> Para. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and Tristan. I'm just here for that good Yuri shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, no. Uh, uh, Tristan, I think Allie might have you beat. Uh, that was a pretty awesome opening. <laughs> opening yeah. Thing. Gripping and um, ripping, baby. Although, I'll, I'll use this opportunity to immediately plug one of our other episodes, the Control episode, where Tristan has a very interesting opening as well. Anyway. Um, <laughs> My favorite, so, so I'm going to derail us immediately. My favorite time ever opening a can of soda or beer or what have you, it was at Hampshire. It was Halloween. We were playing... Uh, we were playing Silent Hill 2. And every, we were all crowded into the lounge. It was dark. We had the shades drawn. We had just gotten into the hospital. And in the hospital, in one of the bathrooms, there's a stall where if you walk by it, there's a loud thump, thump, thump. And it keeps doing it if you walk by it. So we walk by that stall. Thump, thump, thump. Everyone goes, ah, 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 got us, got us. Uh, so they search around, they leave the bathroom, they go to the other bathroom. I pull a can of soda out of my pocket. They walk past the first stall. I stand behind everybody on the couch. They walk past the second stall. I get the can ready. They go past the third stall, turn around, second stall. First of all, I rip that can open as loud and fast as I possibly can, and everyone on the couch just jumped like two feet into the air. I then ran for my life because they were going to beat the shit. <laughs> I don't know uh, what's more impressive about that story: what you did, or the fact that you had a can of soda like in your pocket, ready to go. But, like. That was back in the day <laughs> when they made big pockets on pants. <laughs> Well, no, so so that was the year that one of the guys on our hall, GP, uh, was buying soda and keeping it in his mini fridge and selling it out to the hall uh, as supplementary income. Mm. So it was saving us having to go, like, all the way down uh, to, like, the campus store or one of the overpriced vending machines. Gotcha. Nice. Well, anyway, the spoiler cast is... <laughs> is, 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 is uh, is our look at something that we've been um, playing, watching. Um, we spoil it from start to finish to give you our full, uh, unfiltered thoughts. Today is a really fun episode. I know y'all have been really excited for a little while to talk about this one. We're going to talk about She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, Yay. which is which is just to be clear, the newest, the reboot that came started in 2018 um, on Netflix not the original uh, from what 1985 um, oh god no not that we're gonna go through it so I think the three of you Ali Barra and Tristan you've all seen it all the way through we have yep. yes great and I ha I know relatively what happens and that's about it so it'll be educational for me fun for the rest of you and I'm excited to jump in and hear all about it yes so I'm Yay. into your hate. So really a quick rundown for of the plot for people who may not know. Basically, it's the story of this girl named Adora who gets this power 
to become the hero known as She-Ra. And it's this really fun, exciting plot of Adora starting out on the bad guy team, the Horde, and moving over to the good side. And that journey of her basically unlearning all of the toxic, awful behavior that she was ingrained with as a kid. And meanwhile, on the Horde side, you have her best friend, Katra, like, rising through the ranks and not necessarily doing stuff for the benefit of the Horde, but the benefit of Katra because, my god, Katra is has a lot of problems. She- and they are acknowledged, and it's great. And long story short, it's this whole big, you know, I'd say almost kind of fantasy sci-fi soap opera journey of just like people learning to love themselves and love each other and forgive each other and also acknowledge when you have been not at your very best yes can, can we all agree that Katra is a princess she is the princess of terrible life decisions <laughs> pretty much the, yeah. I mean the day I... when the episode when they were like oh Scorpia just casually drops oh I'm a princess yeah and it's like because in this world the horde is like super anti-princess like they're like you at if you were to like ask anybody who was growing up in the horde they'd be like we're the good guys the princesses are evil and do evil things to people we don't they have like weird them. magic yeah they magic is magic. scary that's not it's, right there's like, a lot of stuff about like not just like you know personal relationships and believing in yourself but like the cost of technology versus magic and the environment as well and it's just overall a really amazing great show and if you have kids i don't know if where there are two listeners from bara Ypsilanti, Michigan. If you have kids out there in Ypsilanti, Michigan, <laughs> you should uh, you should show this show to your kids because what? It's really powerful and good and meaning meaningful stuff for them to watch. I think. Well, and, I, I, and then also I will show them Avatar. This. Our two, yes, yes. Um, we're we're going to get into Avatar a little later. Um, I will say this about our two listeners: they are in love, but they're not admitting it to each other yet. Thus, they do not have and they do not have children <laughs> from other relationships. However, both of them are a are both are very devoted aunts and uncles to respective children. So I hope. They tell their nieces and nephews about this show. Yay. And, and just at a high level, like, why do we feel that this is um, important to show to, or a nice, important show to show to children? So, first of all, it, like, is made with, I think, a lot of age groups in mind, but especially kids, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the creator of this version, Noelle Stevenson, has said in a lot of interviews that growing up, her, like, a lot of, you know, gay and queer and, like, transgender non-conforming and just everybody who's not rape you know cis heteronormative and white what grew up with tv where they didn't see themselves and so you'd latch on to characters who kind of i you could say were queer coded and a lot of times i could go on an entire rant about queer coding but i won't right now um her goal for the show was to create those characters that she wanted to see as a kid but never got to and that's why this show i think is really important not just for adults to watch just because it's a good show but also a really important show for little kids to see all kinds of kids Mm -hmm. represented especially you know someone who may have a 
more difficult life than somebody because of their gender or their race or their sexuality or even like there's a lot of characters in this show that are like really body positive yeah there are a lot of fat characters in this show and they're never made fun of for being fat like spinnerella is one of my favorites because of that because she is fat but she is beautiful and she is loved and she is powerful yeah she's the best wife I, I mean, so I, I actually want to... Do you mind if I cut in on this? So of topic course, Alan? go ahead. So something that is really cool about this show is is that um, a lot of... It really does lead with its best foot forward in terms of diversity and representation. And it does so... This is going to sound weird, but it does so effortlessly in that... Mm-hmm. In this world where he sees, and um, you know, as as a cis man, uh, as a cis straight man, I think that um, I'm maybe less qualified to speak to this in terms of like how big of a deal it is, but it was still incredibly cool to watch. But in this world, uh, sexuality isn't a thing. That Katra and uh, Adora eventually go from friends to being in a, ro- a romantic relationship with each other is not seen as weird or strange or anything. It's just. Is what it is. And it's, similarly, that Bo has two dads or that Spinnerella has a wife. It's just, it's effortless. And uh, that's really cool. It's a little weird, but it's a little weird because Catra has sp- spent like three seasons trying to kill them all. I mean... Right, but it's not weird because she's <laughs> hence, going with, well, with a girl... With, with, Tristan, but it's not weird might I introduce you to a genre of fiction called uh, Enemies to Lovers? It's really good. Oh, no. I know all about <laughs> Enemies to Lovers. Uh, and it's best summed up by that quote of, are you petting the thing that's been trying to kill us? It's like, Adora, you're one to talk. Yep. Yeah, I, 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 I mean... So, but, but, but another thing, too, with that is, is that... Um, is that like the bo- the body representation and body positivity this thing is also effortless and great. Like there is a mm-hmm. lot of really beautifully drawn characters, and they have all different. There's different skin tones, different body types. Like for instance, Adora is pretty much like you know uh, she looks a lot like a jock who would like play soccer in high school. Um, her best friend friend Glimmer is like pretty classically thick and really really cute i mean everyone's really cute that's the thing uh there is an uh, <laughs> uh hatara is pretty much just like built out uh, who's like this uh wasteland warrior person is built out and with muscles um when adora turns into shira she basically also becomes this beautiful statue x but 10 foot tall woman with like visible visible muscles eight foot tall uh eight- only eight feet Regardless, she's really effing tall. <laughs> uh, Perfuma, who is another princess with uh, his powers, is is really skinny. Uh, like, and it, I mean, she has the body type that my mom and the people in her family have. And uh, I was gonna and, say, Barra, did you get like vibes from uh, Perfuma when you first watched the show? Because she really uh, reminds me of uh, ish. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I, yeah. I hadn't thought of that of of, of with that association, but oh, I, I no can see it. No last names. Sorry, sorry. Cut the last name. Please. <laughs> it is like, I had not thought of. I had not thought of in that way. But no, for sure. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's really really cool um, that that you get that kind of 
representation again in an effort in an effortless manner because the show has a lot of drama and a lot of conflict and deals with some really dark themes and it just does it with this diverse cast that isn't hung up on the uh, gender identity of who their main characters end up now, falling in love with or having triangles with and stuff. Now, and it's, now, the it's plot is never about people suffering or facing adversity because of who they are in terms of their bodies or their relationships or their like gender presentation. It's It never falls into that realm of like say like more modern stories or like a game that we will talk about very soon where <laughs> characters are attacked because of their identities. Uh, now, yes. now as as a straight cisgendered white male, I realize that my opinion in this regard is basically nigh worthless. Um, but I'm going to say something about you, Ra, that might be a little controversial here. I think it did representation better than Steven Universe. Eh, I like apples Shira. and oranges. I like Shira way it's, better than Steven Universe. I think that I haven't I think finished Steven Universe yet, um, but I think it's a really different show. It's a very uh, different show, and again, it's also created by like a cast and like the main person in charge, Rebecca Sugar, is queer as well. So, so two queer women showrunners of big children's cartoons. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty nice accomplishment in this trash fire of a world. I'll, I'll just say that. I will say, I think where Steven comes in stronger, and again, they're two different shows, is Steven Universe does a lot more, at least for me, in terms of dealing with the kinds of pressure that people may put upon you, especially in the final season, which I know some people were kind of like, eh, on some parts of Steven Universe future, but there's a lot in that where they explore like, oh hey, we really should probably talk about the fact that this like child who we've put the hopes of the entire fucking universe on has PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh god. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, Shira also does a fantastic job of dealing with a lot of kind of dark issues. Oh yeah, I uh, say Shira talks. Well, I, both shows really do a really good job shows- of talking about abusive relationships more so steven universe with like things that are analogous to like romantic relationships where shiro does a lot with stuff about parental abuse with mm-hmm. you know with um shadow weaver especially oh, let's i would also say Sha- that rom- so go on uh not just shadow weaver let's, not, let's also not forget hordak and horde prime oh yeah Ugh. yeah hordak <laughs> Hordak I, is just trying to gain the approval of an absent father figure. So I think one thing that... So I'm going to say things that, that the show, one thing that has a good strength is, is that, and I think there's another important thing for young people to watch, is that it does have a good thing about really looking at the concept of abusive friendships and relationships and about how one deals with that both being on the other side and then also, interestingly enough, as someone who, oh, oh, oh as how one can deal with that if one has perpetrated that, and how one can come back to that to be a, to be a better human. I mean, Catra has a really toxic and abusive friendship with Scorpia, which you can also potentially interpret in somewhat romantic ways as well. I mean, 
the last until the last season the show doesn't really do romance it does like because they couldn't i'm not because netflix wouldn't let them i'm not saying it was necessarily by design but you know it's and but that that whole thing it's still about friendship and and yeah and i think that if uh from the very beginning it would have been interesting if they could have built in more actual um romantic stuff from the very beginning but that being said you know adora is i mean not adora catra's terrible to scorpia and then scorpia calls her out for being a bad friend for being for being vain and abusive then she leaves her um and she she essentially defects and in the end once catra has gone to the sides of the princesses um she has to reckon with that and apologize to scorpia and because Scorpia is a lovely and probably the best actual human being on the show, um, does forgive her. <laughs> I think it's I think it's safe to say that Scorpia is best girl and Bo is best boy. Oh, of course, obviously. Of course. That yeah. being said, I don't think, one. Oh, so, uh, oh, go on. I was just gonna say I don't think that's going to uh, raise any warning flags or get anyone up in arms about. Uh, no, no. I th- I think that uh, I mean Bo is just a lovely human being. Period. Uh, and yeah, Scorpio is just like the literal best. Uh, I will say though that one thing that it sort of did fall off of though is is that unfortunate. I love the character of Seahawk and I love the character of Burmista, but they do have a pretty toxic relationship themselves. And I was hoping that that would get addressed at some point too, because yeah, there is they do not treat either they do not treat each other well, and both of them have degrees of boundary crossing and I would say abusive behavior to one another and that may seem like an odd thing to like harp on but like the fact that this show is so good at addressing and not letting that stuff um just like go unanswered in other parts it was a little disappointing that they didn't actually like wrap that up a little as as neatly as I personally personally would have liked but I think all that... that's a really valid reading of that i think there were definitely attempts made at it because there were from the very beginning it was like definitely played for laughs of seahawk is chasing after mermista and she's like oh no boys are stupid go away and like, but it's also clear that she does that she also like yeah. encourages him too which is where yeah. it gets problematic. And they well, do and have... I think they kind of touch upon it a little bit when... So at one point, there's a princess character called Entrapta who defects to the Horde side and then comes back, and everybody's having huge issues trusting her, obviously, especially Mermista. And through that whole plot line, Mermista kind of learns to open up a little more. And I think that's the thing, is you have these two personalities where Seahawk is so overt and like very wears his heart on his sleeve and open and Mermista is just like the opposite she is just like I can't let anybody in because that's really scary to me and like despite her abrasiveness Seahawk is like no there's a a lovely person in there you just need to let them out and but I agree Vera that's more of my reading of it and I wish they'd been able to get into that a no, I, more. I I I think that they started those dynamics, but I just wish they had finished some more because again, there is that there are parts where it's just like y'all y'all should uh, have a moment. Yeah, you guys need to they sit do. down and talk this out like adults. Exactly, yeah, they do have a really nice moment in that undersea um, lounge where uh, Mermissa confesses that she set a boat on fire to Seahawk. 
Yeah. Because she, she, I wanted to see what it felt like, and I kind of enjoyed it. No, they they, they clearly like each other. Um, yeah. It's just there is that, but, but even though, but a... but you could like someone and not treat them well, and that is that is a uh, that is something that I definitely think is was a pretty key part of Adora and Catra's yeah. relationship until Catra essentially began to own up to her own bad behavior, uh, which one, I think is one, powerful. Uh, one last quick thing on Seahawk. Uh, was I the only one who found it a little weird that Bo was really, really, was really a buddy-buddy with Seahawk, like, right away? Uh, and then we meet Bo's dads, and Seahawk and George have the same mustache. Uh, I was a little creeped out by that. I was like, uh... I uh, I don't quite get what you're getting at. It just seemed it, like it was really weird that these two characters have the exact same mustache. And I have seen a lot of Bo Seahawk shipping. And that I, I, seems really weird to me because Seahawk has the same mustache as one of his dads. I mean, like, to be fair, like, that is, I mean, that that's also, like, the equivalent of, like, you know, if you're going to flip it around heterosexually about, you know, you have a tall, blo- you have a tall blonde mom and you end up marrying or dating a, a, a woman who's also a tall blonde. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, these, th- these things happen. And, in fact, I actually know a number of people who have, like, been in relationships or married people who are just, like, that person does somewhat look like your own, but also, and again, it's just like, you know, people like what you li- they like. There's like almost like a roulette wheel almost in terms of like how much well, of one, the combination of one's romantic ideal to combine with like how much, you know, of just like, you know, someone's not my physical ideal, but I like them for other things. Anyways, I'm wandering on, but I don't think it's particularly strange to be interested either romantically or friendshiply in a guy who happens to have a mustache that looks like your dad. You can only um, make your mustache look so different in so many ways. Also I say that. as someone who's never had a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> but if I did, it would look like Seahawks. Well, well, uh, Allie, you do have power over somebody who could have a mustache. Can you get them to do a Seahawk mustache this year? <sighs> No, because that would probably mean shaving off his beard, and I like his beard. Wait, he has a beard now? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I thought he, the quarantine I thought he beard. was clean shaven. Nope. He's I had, had to... a beard for years. Yeah. I had to shave off my quarantine beard, because it was making my mask really itchy when I went into work, and I was like, nope, nope. This sucks, but I gotta do it. Sometimes yeah. you gotta do it. Alright. Uh... Also, while we're still in the realm of potentially weird ships, in let's Trap go. Deck, weird. It only, it only or took twenty cute? minutes, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the bit at the end where Mermista just looks at Entrapta and goes, "Are we okay with that?" Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I I honestly kind of like it. I'm, I'm I'm a sucker for a villain who has like that one person. That they like open up to and trust. I'm a real sucker for that. Um, and Entrapta, we know, was a technophile. So they kind of like, went hard with that in the last season too. Like Entrapta yeah, really likes technology, you guys. Like really likes technology. Weird. It's a little weird. Um. 
on the wiki there is a wonderful picture which i think is exactly the moment you're alluding to where we're mista and see that uh, are like looking kind of side like with their peripheral vision at the two of them together and trapped yep. in yeah. hordot yep that's it yeah that's, that's awesome. awesome i mean there's another thing too with that which is, is that i mean i think that that was in many ways happens because of you know like the show really does have this really positive ending in terms of like literally the power of love in fact the power of love between these two women who were best friends and now are in a, uh, best friends the igniting of the formal ignition of their romantic relationship their first kiss is this thing that saves their planet in perhaps the universe like it's hinted yeah. that they're going to bring magic it's, back to it so i think it's in the that, power of best ship I, it's the power of the best ship We'll go with that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I, I think also another thing with that is is that um, in the in the whole sequence of that, it's honestly like this big redemptive all is forgiven situation. Uh, but the flip of that is is that even though Hordak, who is the villain for the first four seasons, um, is definitely less of a bad dude compared to Horde Prime, who is this person, this terrifying. Uh, oh, we'll get to Horde Prime. Yeah, well, I mean, Horde Prime is essentially this terrifying evil emperor figure who Hordak is a clone of, and he has all these disposable clones, and Hordak was just one of them who is defective, who ended up like being trapped on Etheria and then created an army to conquer the planet so that Horde Prime would like love him, so essentially. So his big brother would notice him. Like, that's yeah. the other thing that's creepy, too, is it's this whole cult following of all of the clones worshipping Horde Prime and calling him brother and like never disagreeing with him ever. The other the thing though with that is is that like you know at the end it's because of the big power of love situation you know that it seems like Hordak's all good with with Entrapta and Mermista's like are you sure we're okay with this? And it is an interesting thing where your potter's like but wait this is someone who like terrorized and is implied with like he wasn't like just like a minor bandit. Like he nearly conquered the world. You see him destroying villages. It's heavily implied he's killed. Pe- he's certainly killed, responsible for the deaths of people. Um, yeah. And it's like, okay, we're all good now. It's it is it re- it is a tribute to the show's focus on the power of love. That it's just like, okay, all is forgiven in that way, which is, I think, honestly, a pretty good message to give to kids. Yeah, I think especially a lot these days where a lot of times we're, and and it goes both ways, you know, we don't cut ourselves slack with forgiving ourselves. And, you know, that isn't to say if somebody has harmed you, you have to forgive them. If you do forgive them, it has to be on your terms. And that's what I really like about the show is they all learn to forgive each other on their terms. Like, in the last season, there's this whole big fight and issue between Bo and Glimmer because Glimmer did a big fucky-wucky the last season, to put it lightly. Yeah. And Bo is pissed at her with good reason. And, like, did she do what she did for the right reasons? In a way. Friends friends don't let friends of abusive parental figures wander around the castle completely unregulated. 
I mean, it's not even the stuff with, like, it's not even just because of Shadow Weaver. It's the whole, like, <laughs> using the power of, like, the weapon, the, the, I'm losing my words, using the big fucking nuke that's in the middle of the planet because you think it's, you know, she's kind of at her wit's end. Her mom just died. She's been made queen, and she's, like, what, 16, 17? Like, actually, actually, the characters are all actually older than you think. Really? Yeah, Entrapta is 29 at the start of the series. What? Yeah. That does not compute. I'm sorry. Yeah. It just doesn't. Entrapta's like 29. Catra um, uh, and Adora are both, are both, I think, like 18 or 19. See, uh, that remember, I can see. Remember, Bo's parents think he's basically at college. Oh, that's right. That's right. These characters are all actually older than you think. So they're all... But As still, is, like... As the is point Glimmer. I was trying, the point Glimmer I was trying the... to make is that, you know, people learn to forgive, but on their ter- own terms. And if you have to wait for that or never get it, that's unfortunately just the way it is. But I think right. the show does a really good job of representing that, of when it works and when it doesn't work. You know, uh, I'm going to say something that may be kind of like overreaching to a degree, but I think it's important that I think that, unfortunately, um, you know, Within a lot of discourse, even amongst discourse with people and in cultures which I disagree, there is still a lot of emphasis on on vengeance and on punishment and retribution. And this show really does deal with forgiveness, but in a healthy way. Like nobody, it's never nobody is owed forgiveness. Period. It is mm-hmm. something that is that it's- is earned, and or and this show represents that. But at the same time it shows forgiveness as a positive thing. That if you can get yourself into that state, that is a preferable situation. That is a that is shown to be a good situation to be in. And I, I honestly think that being able to go into anything where people who have hurt you or in the case of Katra, like, you know, Katra is an abusive friend. Um and she is an abu and and she's also the general in a in a very on the enemy side in a war, and in the end, they forgive her. But again, but it's also done through through their own terms, and because Katra genuinely moves and makes changes and takes responsibility for her own actions. Yeah, she right. never does it begrudgingly. That's the important thing: is she comes to that realization on her own, which is huge it's- and really important. Like this, this show is not. Is, is not perfect. I don't necessarily know if, personally for me, I would rewatch it. Not because, but, and that's nothing against the show. It's just like, it speaks to me less than, than some, than some other stuff. But I think it's a really important show to show kids. And I think there's a number of people for it will, will be their rewatch show. And I think that that's a great thing. Uh, I think that shows like this are important. And I'm glad we're talking about the forgiveness thing as much here, and the and the, well, the ways it deals with toxic relations is because, you know, this pioneering LGBTQ world that it has, and this you know pioneering like just like being able in the final season just like openly acknowledge this queer romance and it's is what's getting the headlines and rightfully so, but I think right under that is also this really cool ethic of forgiveness without enabling bad behavior through being through letting yourself be willing to throw to to accept forgiveness i think that it's uh it's great i think it's a good 
I think including that, Barra, it touches a lot on what it means to set boundaries. Whether or not you want to set those boundaries. Because that's a big thing that comes up so often in an abusive relationship is, is like maybe you realize that what's happening to you is wrong, but because you have become comfortable is not the right word, but like de- like dependent on that person, like, you know, emotionally, physically, financially, it's hard to tear yourself away from that and set that boundary of you can't do this to me. This isn't right. And a lot of times you don't even realize it until uh, until it's after after it's after it's over. So sometimes like you just I know maybe it's like sometimes it's like takes a while for you even to realize like oh yeah that thing that I was okay with was really not okay. Yeah, exactly. Especially I'd say with um, Scorpio's plotline, especially like you pointed out earlier, Bear, she goes through so much with Catra treating her like crap, and then finally is like, you know what? Enough is enough. You can't do that to me because I deserve better and that's not right that make me be- that might be um that's probably my second favorite episode of the show uh, what's I'm your sure first favorite? favorite uh well I'll say it uh but is there anything that you want to rant about first because I I just feel like that I, I want to hear more from you Ali since I know you love the show and I always love hearing you go uh, hearing your takes thank you I am um... I mean, to me, the thing, like I said, I think it's really good for kids to watch it. And I really wish something like this had been out when I was a little kid because I would have felt normal. Like, that's the big thing for me is, you know, people like these kinds of things because it's the kind of show that they wish they had had growing up. Because instead of feeling like a weirdo because you don't see yourself on TV or in the movies, you feel seen and you feel heard. At least, like, that's that's what it would have meant to me if I'd watch it growing up as, you know, a queer person. But, unfortunately, that was not the case. But I hope that more shows like this get made and that more people can make the things that they want other people to see that depict really healthy relationships. And the biggest thing for me is this is a piece of media where people being gay or trans or non-gender conforming or what have you, they aren't punished and hurt because of that. Because, you know, it's important to hear and see stories where that is an element because that kind of suffering still goes on in the world, obviously. <laughs> we're not uh, we're not out of the woods yet, guys. Uh, it would still mean a lot to see more stories where just good things happen. If that makes sense. It makes a hundred percent sense. And, uh, yeah. Tristan, I think you wanted to say something. I've actually had several issues. I've kind of wanted to jump in on over the last 12 minutes. Oh no. That we have left behind. I am feeling a little left out here, guys. Okay. But but the floor Um, is yours. Back when we were talking about forgiveness. Uh, I wanted to bring up the fact that it not only does it emphasize the importance of forgiveness, um, it also shows the futility of vengeance. Hordak gets his Darth Vader moment. Like, literally. Where he throws Horde Prime into an abyss. 
and the end result is nothing. Because Horde Prime can just jump between clones. It's like, oh right, that's a thing. Um, it's uh, I've unfortunately forgotten most of what I wanted to say. That was kind of the last piece of what well, I wanted well, to bring up. Yeah, well, just, yeah. Think think through it again, and we can we can come back. I, I think the one thing that I'm hearing um, in a lot of the conversation is that there are. Obviously, there's it's a diverse cast, but not just diverse in the way that you know we've talked about a lot, but also diverse in the standpoint that a lot of media today is like one side or the other, right? Like you're either on this side or that side, and it feels like from what I'm hearing, there's a lot of characters in the show that are somewhere in the middle, jumping back and forth between sides, taking interesting stances or interesting stands and. Um, in certain ways or on certain things. Um, it kind of jumps into the forgiveness thing a bit, but I'm just curious if I'm reading that right or, or not. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, again, like, prime example being, like, Catra and Scorpia. Like, Scorpia has pretty much, for the most part, grown up with the Horde. Like, the Horde came in and took over her kingdom and they seceded to them. And then in Trapta's whole thing is... You know, her whole life she feels like she's a weirdo because she's basically lives sequestered in a castle surrounded by robots. And there's a moment where the princesses infiltrate the um, Horde territory. And because mistakes are made, Entrapta gets left behind because everybody thinks she dies. Which, like, the show does not, like, uh, walk on eggshells around that. They're like... Entrapta is dead. Like, we're pretty sure she's dead, and we left her there to die, and holy shit, we're terrible people for doing that. So, like, the good guys aren't also, like, infallible, either. And that leads into this whole messed up thing of Catra manipulating Entrapta into thinking her friends hate her and didn't want her around anyways. Speaking of other people that Catra has been really shitty to. (laughs) And it also... You know, on, on the same stan- stance on, like, one side or the other, there's also this this uh, trained um, behavior in society where, you know, especially in the wake of social media, where, you know, your your way is the highway and, you know, it, you're not taking in fact or new information. You're just finding things that make you right. Um, yeah, completely. And it sounds like there's a lot of situations in this show where, characters get feedback learn more information and hey gosh they like change their minds and stuff and <laughs> it, it's a lot of pain but eventually a lot of these people have the conversations that need to be had right. about the way things have been going yeah it broke my fucking heart when entrapped I thought her friends didn't love her It's like, it's like, no! It's like, it's like, no! They think you're dead! If they knew, they'd do something stupid, like, like, zoom off to go rescue you! Oh, wait, that's exactly, oh, guys. guys no, <laughs> yeah, no, they do that no, so many guys, times! No, don't! <laughs> um. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, uh, Okay. 
here we go. Question time. Who is more of an irredeemable, like, just, just piece of shit? Horde Prime. Ho- uh, oh, okay, I was going to say Horde Prime or Shadow Are you Weaver. about to say excluding Horde Prime? <laughs> no, I was going to say, sh- say Horde Prime or Shadow Weaver. Because um, Shadow Weaver, Shadow Weaver even makes her death about her. Like... Dear God, slightly less evil Mallory Archer here just can't. Oh, I, I I don't know. I I honestly felt that um the shed they did, given how toxic, and not just toxic, but like you see the harm. Like Hordak is clearly a more harmful person than Shadow Weaver for uh, on a galactic scale. Well, no, no, I I mean not 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 Horde Prime. I mean Hordak. Um, yeah. uh, but just for, for, for Eternia he's trying to conquer it but you see Shadow Weaver's like bad behavior and the terrible thing she does more up close and personal you see her torture glimmer you see that she's been abusive to Adora and Catra growing up um, but I don't forget that time she absorbed an eldritch horror and literally ate her co-workers I mean, that's the tastiest snack. <laughs> I eat my coworkers for breakfast. So it's hard to to be sympathetic to somebody who you see do that much awful, and also for it to not kind of have like a Jamie Lannister effect, aka you like somebody so much that you just forget that they pushed a child out of a window. Um, but I don't forget, by the way. I mean. I enjoy reading about Jay Lannister as much, eh? But like, you know, Jamie still- Lannister was such a kingslayer. He tried to kill Bran before Bran was king. Jesus Christ! Oh no! <laughs> He's that ahead of the curve on kingslaying. Oh shit! I didn't even think about that. Um, but you know, with Shadow Weaver, what was cool is is that they did. You did see slowly but surely that not only. Did she say she wasn't doing evil shit anymore, but she really was working towards being not a terrible person, and people were very distrustful of that because of all the direct harm that they saw that she's been doing, and also she continued to be, like, you know, but she also didn't have a total change in personality, she also was, like, calculating, obsessed, but, like, okay, the the means can justify the ends, etc., we have to, but... In the end, I felt at least that her death defending her two adopted daughters who she hadn't treated well was actually earned and beautiful and proper, and I felt that she got a, a good send-off. Now, again, whether or not that uh, that makes up in your mind or the, with the viewer for all the bad stuff that you saw her do, I felt that the show did an impressive job of being able to show a... I would say in quotes redemption arc because again there's still a lot of troubled shit that she had and had it been unpacked but at the end of the day I think that they did as good a job as any to like realistically show how you can sympathize with someone in the end and that they're doing something truly noble with the last moments of their lives even while acknowledging the harm they've done am I making sense? So, so Barra, I, I would like that, Barra. Barra, Barra I would like to counter that with a uh, quote from Noel Stevenson, uh, who basically let me see if I can find the actual what I so from Noel Stevenson herself, 
what I like about it is that it's still very fitting for her. It's still kind of a selfish end. It, uh, Shadow Weaver makes the choice to sacrifice herself just to sort of peace out. Even that smug little smile at the end that, now you have to forgive me goodbye. Again, you know, well, I, I mean, one, death of the author. <laughs> Two, uh... Because I, I, I personally saw Shadows of Weaver's death as, oh, you bitch. You're just going to peace out and be like, oh, I did a final, good final act. Now you have to forgive me. You're welcome. Boom. I mean, just I like, don't... Oh, really, you suck. I mean, I didn't really read it that way, though. Like, I mean, keeping even keeping the Wells Stevenson thing in mind, it's like... You don't hear her outright say, like, I'm doing this for you because I secretly love you. I think it's her admitting to herself, holy shit, I'm a bad person. And there's literally no way I can prove to these two people that I genuinely wish them happiness. I'm going to do the best thing I can do and get myself killed. Because it's, one, the only way they'll survive this shithole situation they're in. And two, like, killing myself may be actually the only way for them to see that I do care about them. Which, you know what? That is selfish. I will not lie. That is selfish. But at the same time, it is also for the benefit of Catra and Adora in that one, they aren't eaten by a giant monster. And two, like, not in so many words, they're able to see her Shadow Weaver realize, oh, she knows she fucked up and was horrible to us if if that makes sense i mean she's a shitty terrible person and on the one hand i was like oh man that sucks that she died and like didn't really have to sit down and have a big conversation with adora and katra about how she treated them but i think at the same time that conversation if it did happen i don't think it would have gone well i don't think anybody would have come out of it feeling better or healed. I think it just would have made everyone even angrier. If right, that makes cause sense. Because I, I see her self-sacrifice as her being like, ah, I have an honorable opt-out of that conversation. Yeah. That's a fair That's a fair that, way to read it. And I'm going to take that opt-out and keep them, keep them in debt to my memory. You're welcome. Dead. I mean, I think it is. It speaks to the complexity of this show, where like you know, there you can have those those different interpretations. I mean, personally, I I don't think that Shadow. I think if Shadow Weaver had been able to had an option where they could have the two of them could have survived, and she at that moment, and she would have too. She would have taken that survival, um, specifically because not just because you know, I've, I've, she never really seemed to like have a self-loathing in fact that's kind of something that you know that she she never really felt even after she defected and started to doing like good things out the rebellion you never really see her express regret for her bad actions which i think is uh, one of the key reasons why um you know like the steps are for you know in terms of the forgiveness steps like you know like take that responsibility wasn't taken really i guess even except towards the end and also remember that like she really likes that King Micah is back. Like, Micah is someone who she genuinely, genuinely uh, likes and has a connection to. And yeah, I think that she really would have liked to have been able to survive in a world where Micah isn't mind-controlled. Yeah. 
That was stressful. I didn't mm-hmm. like that part. I didn't like the part where everybody basically turned into zomb- mindless zombies. That was scary. Oh, oh my god. Especially with Micah. Because it's like, they just miss him. Like, like Glimmer teleports away. And like, half a second later, Micah comes in like, Yes, I'm back! I'm back! Where is everybody? And then it's like... They got, like, zero time! Together. <laughs> Between that and the mind control. And I'm just like, oh... So, I, I, I said that I, I had a favorite episode, but uh, again, I'm going to continue teasing that out for our Ypsilanti listeners. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll ask, start with Tristan. What was your favorite episode? That is... That's a real hard one. Because a lot of them are, are really good. Uh, there are a few kind of extraneous ones, especially early on, where the show was a little more episodic. Um, I would say I have more favorite moments than individual episodes. So what um, are some of those? So, like, in the first episode, when... Um, it's either the first or second episode... Uh, when Adora, when they go to the party, Adora is like, has no idea what a party is. And Bogum are like, she doesn't know what parties are. What are we gonna do? We have to fix this. Um, or, or, um, Natasha's Batman moment. That moment where Natasha reveals that she has plans on how to take down every single princess. And it turns out they're all weak to fire. <laughs> they're all yeah. weak to fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's like, well, because it's one of the sort of like running things in the DC universe is that Batman has a plan to take out any member of the Justice League if need be. He has backup plans. He has contingencies. And it was nice that Natessa kind of got a moment of that. Where it's like, no, I'm Batman. These are my plans if I ever had to take out all of you. Um, and then also her moment with Catra immediately afterwards. Where Catra's like, ha, huh, you don't have a plan to take me out. If you did, you would have spray, spray, spray. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pretty cute. Um, uh, Catra's spacesuit. I was gonna say Bo's spacesuit. The fact that it still has a cutout for his fucking abs. Like, but like those spacesuits don't work. You know that what? It's it fine. Work. It's fine. Magic. I it's saw magic. Somebody, I saw somebody arguing on Twitter that Shira transforming and being on top of a spaceship was like not realistic, and I'm like, are you watching the same show that I am? <laughs> it's magic. Um, it's it's but, magic. But- the Catra spacesuit, and even Bo calls it out. Like, it's so cute! It's got the ears! Um, Bo that, is that just whole, such a good egg. He's such I a good egg. Him. He, I I honestly think he deserves better than Glimmer. I kind of want to see him and Scorpia. Like, just being best people together. They didn't have the chemistry, unfortunately. Like... No. It was going to be him and Glimmer or him and Perfuma. Yeah. 
Don't worry, Perfuma and Scorpia are happy on a farm together, and that's all I ever wanted. <laughs> yeah. Because really, we just want good things for Scorpia. Oh my god. I actually, uh, speaking of moments, because uh, I'm like you, Tristan, I can't really pick a, a single episode because this show is too fucking good. But a moment I've been thinking about a lot is the part, I believe it's uh, season four, when Catra's really getting into the swing of things, of being in charge of the Horde, basically. And um, she's bossing everybody around, including her quote-unquote friends, although they're more Catra, uh, Adora's friends, uh, oh, Rahelio, right, 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 right. Kyle, and Lonnie. And like, <gasps> speaking again, did you, speaking did you see? of more people that Catra was really shitty to, those three, especially Lonnie, because... There's a lot of stuff in flashbacks where Catra is just terrified of being abandoned. So then when Adora goes and tries to make new friends, Catra lashes out at her and these new friends she made. But anywho, so there's this scene where they're inside a transport and they're being um, trapped inside because there's like basically toxic snow falling outside. And that's yes. their big moment oh of realizing God, that, that we need to get the hell out of the horde because nobody in there actually cares about us. We are yeah. the only ones that care about us. Like, Catra's that, never cared. Adora is gone. We need to get the hell out. Yeah, that, that's the episode where Kyle really comes into his own, too. Like, he gets so much development in that one episode. But did you did you see... That at the end of the series, when they're sh- you know showing all the different parts of uh, Etheria, did you see that Kyle and Rogelio adopted Imp? Yes. That made me so happy. Also, Rogelio has a picture of Kyle in his locker. Oh yeah, no, no, those two are like the fandom super ships those two. I mean, Scorpia lets loose in, uh, that the two of them uh, that that Kyle had a crush on Rogelio. And I think Noel Stevenson said that um, uh, Lonnie was in on that relationship too. Yeah, they're like a, they're like a, a tr- yeah, yeah. I don't know what the <laughs> correct term is for it because I'm not poly, so I'm not going to pretend I know about poly stuff. <laughs> Regard, yeah, I mean, I the one thing that I, one of the things that I really wanted to see was I wanted to see the two, the three of them return more. In season five, to um, uh, to you know, in the battles against Horde Prime, because they were great, and I mean, I appreciated that cute little flashback, <laughs> but I want to, I want to see them, see them kick butt and such, and or just have some conversations with like Adora and Catra, especially Adora, since, uh, since yeah, it would have been nice for them to, you know, have their friendship again, or at least understanding. <laughs> Horde Prime. Let's 
Let's talk the big bad. So, I feel there's a real disconnect between when he shows up at the end of season four and then all of season five. Like, at the end of season four, it felt like a, like, final episodes of Gurren Lagan boss had just shown up. Like, one of those, every star in the sky is our enemy. The f*** are we gonna do? And then he shows up, and he's not really super dangerous. Or I don't think he was as dangerous as he should have been. Like, they mentioned he has a whole blockade of battleships around the planet. When they sneak by, and then it's never mentioned again. Like, if he has conquered most of, presumably, either the galaxy or the universe, he must have ludicrous resources at his beck and call. Like, we are talking, like, like, he should have enough ships to blot out the sky. Oh, wait, we saw that at the end of episode four. Like, like, he must have, at this point, more planetary invasions under his belt than I can count. And it felt kind of like they sort of backed off of his threat level or didn't take his threat level as far as it should. So so here's my thought on on uh, Horto on the Horde Prime situation. I mean, I think that they did about as good a job in universe in my mind they did about as good a job in universe for uh, given the constriction the given the restrictions and the tone that the show had had and also like the format of it like there's only so competent that your villains can be in a show right. like She-Ra, where like you know they can they can escape and there's constant battling and there's not much death. Um, and that being said, the Horde Act was a pretty competent villain, and I would also argue that Horde Prime was too. I mean, Horde Prime nearly beats them, and there's good in-universe reasons why he doesn't just blow up the planet. He wants to right. gain access to the magic in the heart of Etheria. Uh, right, which is why his mind, mind control, control is the best is the best possible route he can take really until un, until he eventually decides would decide eh it's not really worth it just turn the planet to glass we can conquer the galaxy the old fashioned way because I'm practically immortal yeah well I mean the other uh, the, the other thing though too is is that um, you know is that like he also has um is is that remember that magic is also shown specifically to be his weakness. So I think there was another explanation mm-hmm. of why it took so long for him to just like not just like do a straight up ground force invasion is because uh magic is a problem for Horde Prime. I mean literally he abandoned the cat planet because it was that much of what an are, issue. And these are What are you talking about? Horde Prime never abandoned the cat planet. It didn't happen. Horde Prime has no weaknesses. So I mean, I I, I actually felt that like Horde, Horde Prime was a pretty was I thought they did a pretty good job with that Gurren Lagan moment of expanding things out and making Horde Prime suitably creepy and creepy and scary. Um, oh, he was definitely creepy. Um, I also feel I also feel like he and Adora did not have a lot of good hero villain chemistry between the two of them. Like, 
like I like you there are lots of examples of really good like hero villain compatibility I want to say like like when you think of say like Batman and the Joker how they are sort of reflections of each of, of each other um I felt like there there really wasn't a good straight connect like that for him and Adora um Though I will say, as soon as uh, he did the one most unforgivable act, I was ready to see him get smashed. He cut my girl's beautiful mane. He cut her mane. You don't, you don't, no. No. Like, she looks good with the, with the short hair, but it's like, nah, man. Uh-uh. That is that is a step too far. And then he went on to to you know mind control everybody, and it's like okay, okay, <laughs> okay. Oh, this is this is a bad situation. Oh, 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 things are turning out very poorly for our for heroes. Do you think they do a good job with the transition from Hordok as the main villain to Horde Prime? Yeah, I mean, Hordak is, for the most part, a almost invisible villain. Like, for a lot of the series. You know? He's, like, like, like Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget hmm. gets more screen time, like, on a per-episode basis. Um, and Dr. Claw is a character, we only see his hand. And his cat. Like, um... I, I felt they all could have leaned in a little harder on on Hordak's, like... Because Hordak, I think it's... They, they say he's been there for, like, a thousand years. Like, what has he been doing all this time? <laughs> like, I mean, I get it. You have to, you know, build up the resources and stuff to start the horde but it's like it feels like there's a really big gap there that I would that I really like would like to know about like I would I would love to see like the first um oh god what uh what's the what's the term they use for it like the first princess gathering um the princess prom no, 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 the, like, because, like, when, when Adora and Glimmer have to try and get all the princesses together. Oh, to right, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I forget and what it, it's called, too, and but they, basically the big were, important meeting. Right, the, the big federation, the alliance, there we go, the big princess alliance, whatever you want to call it. They, rec- they remark that this is the second one, because the first one fell apart after Micah died, finger quotes. Like I want to see that. I want to see like the like the initial stages of the war. I think that'd be a really cool like spin-off or like second series.
<laughs> I was gonna say there is a He-Man Netflix in the process, but it's a. Uh, I don't think it's gonna be anything She-Ra related, unfortunately. That one. That one's um, gonna be about toxic unless... masculinity. <laughs> what if? So what if He-Man is a super prequel? Before, like, set before Etheria gets popped into its own dimension. God. Well, I think there's, I think there's something really. I think there's something. He's really... the Avatar. Get him. Oh God. Muscles, blonde hair. Swords, gayness. Only the He-Man can wield the power of all four elements. Well, I haven't heard oh a single God. thing about He-Man until this moment, so I'm guessing that there really isn't any reference to that side of things in this show, and that's probably for the best. Like, it feels like let's make this its own thing with its own cast of characters, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't know. They yeah. they reference I really like that about it. They do reference Grayskull, but. And, and she even asks, who the heck is Grayskull? Yeah. <laughs> like, what? What is this? Why do like, we what care? What is this? Um, <laughs> I can't hold all these Grayskulls. Right. Do, um, do Hordok or Horde Prime sound at all like Grayskull, or do they sound totally different? No, Grayskull is the castle. I thought that... What's the, name of the what, what's the name of the, the main bad guy from... Skeletor! Skeletor! Yeah! Why can I think of, why why was I thinking Grayskull is Skeletor? Yes. Do they, they You know what I want? You know what I really hope happens is that the in the new He-Man, they don't do like classic 80s Skeletor. I want them to do the weird 90s Skeletor where he had he has eyes. Yeah. Oh my god. When when they're talking about all of their plans for assaulting the castle. Okay, no, that's that's my favorite episode. It's basically the episode oh, where yeah. they play D&D. And somehow Bo has tapped into the original designs. They're so good. Oh my god. <laughs> like, like, they're talking about all the plans, and all their plans are in different, um, like, you know, different art styles. And Bo's is the original 80s art style. Uh, so there's an episode where uh, they're all together, and they're plotting out, trying to plan out how to attack a castle, this like fortress, and take it over. And they're basically playing D&D to do it. And they do it multiple times throughout the show, too, which is amazing. Yeah. I love that gimmick. Oh, gosh, oh. we haven't even talked about Mara. Oh. <laughs> yeah. For real. It, it just, for, for, for recap, so Mara was the She-Ra before Adora. And mm-hmm. what you, and you initially hear about that Mara went crazy and then it caused um, Eternia to be locked away in this in this pocket dimension. And smashed a bunch of shit. And smashed a bunch of shit. And then you find out over time 
that maybe Mara was was onto something, and in this episode you get finally what it was, and that where there's this character, Madame Raz, who's kind of like this old witchy lady, and you she kind of has an odd relationship with time, and in that episode mm-hmm. she's essentially her consciousness is jumping back and forth between when she's like first meets Mara to a day where she's hanging out with Adora, and it's all about her like making a pie and you see her relationship with Mara progress and what you realize is that Mara discovers that this whole heart of this this heart of Eternia project which is essentially trying to turn Eternia into a weapon of mass destruction for the first ones which is the race that she's a part of and that, Eternia uh, and that Adora is Etheria. sorry Etheria Eth- um, Etheria is basically a halo ring right exactly yeah, yeah. and she rebels against that and eventually sacrifices her life. And at the end of the episode, you basically get her her recording as she's about to crash her ship and die. And then at the end of it, like Madame Raz has been making this pie between the past and the few and, and the present. And then she just like she sets the pie down and she's like, Thank you, Bara. And like at this point, you know, that Adora realizes just what it is. It's, it's beautiful. It's because again, it's like it's one of those things where it's like this self-contained, beautiful episode. It solves a lot of mysteries, and it just—I uh, don't know—it's—it's it's really, it's really touching. Outside of really anything else with the and and uh, yeah, I I loved it. I thought it was a perfect episode, and I was it impressed the shit out of me. The way that they play with Madame Rouse's like perception and experience of time in the show in, in general is just so cool, and it never, it never feels hokey or there's like they're sitting you down and going, "Okay, stupid, here's how, here's the lore," ta-da! <laughs> like the show, that's another thing I really like about the show is it doesn't like waste your time. It respects its audience, which again, try going way, 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 way back is, like, a thing to me as someone who's been an educator for a long time. Like, you need to respect your audience. And yes, even if they're kids. Like, you know what? Everybody has their own opinion of, I don't like kids. Kids are dumb. But, like, kids are human beings with thoughts and feelings, too, guys. Don't treat them like they're stupid. As someone who... I mean, you work with children... But as someone who as interviews kids as part of my job as a newspaper reporter, I will say that it's pretty remarkable how quickly kids get to the point where they can give a good interview and just like how aware of stuff they are. Like seven and eight year olds often that's like, whoa, you are getting and understanding things and not don't even get me started on that, like ten, eleven year olds. Like um like uh, yeah. kids are still kids, but doesn't mean that they're stupid. Doesn't mean that they don't have deep thoughts. Doesn't mean that they don't have, you know, like, feel feel serious feelings. And it is, mm-hmm. it is a mistake to, uh, to write off, to A, write off children's literature, or B, think that you cannot give them something that is hearty. I mean, age appropriateness is fine and good to keep in mind, but it should never be at the expense of a good story and especially mm-hmm. at, like, real and genuine emotions. See, I'm I'm a big proponent of you are always a certain level of stupid, but as you get older, you just realize more of how dumb you actually are. 
So, like, I'm still as dumb as I was when I was eight. But now I realize how dumb I was. And in ten years, and like ten years from now, I'll be like, oh my god, I was such an idiot back then. I mean, my point wasn't really... Oh, sorry, Tristan. (laughs) And then ten years after that, I'll be like, oh god, I was such a moron. Is that... So, the idea is, I, I, I like, I'm a proponent of the idea that that you're always, each, everyone is go, always going to be kind of a moron. But the fact that every so often you will look back and go, oh my god, such a moron back then, just means that we can keep growing. Yeah. I mean, my point, um, just jumping on that, Tristan, wasn't really about, like, intellectual intelligence. I meant more on, like, emotional intelligence of kind of what Barra was touching on of, you know, how do we approach these kinds of topics in a way that's appropriate for kids? Like, my basic biggest example is, for me, and it's, you know, kind of a difficult situation because I work with really little kids, is how do you approach discussions of racism with little Mm -hmm. kids and a lot of people will say oh well you know you can't talk about that or like gender identity because i've talked about these things with my students you can't talk about that with them because it's too difficult and it's like no you don't really truly respect them if you think you can't have these conversations with them i've talked about gender identity with these kids like i've had kids come up to me and just ask can girls marry girls and i'm like yeah and they're like oh okay (laughs) <laughs> no, that is that is precisely the time you should be right. having those conversations. Exactly. Like studies have shown that the more diverse of an environment a person grows up in, the better they turn out usually. Mm-hmm. Like no, that is precisely the time to have those conversations. And as long as you don't make a huge kerfuffle about it, it doesn't have to be, like, a huge thing. Kids are really good at taking stuff at face value. And that's why, yeah. again, with shows like She-Ra, Steven Universe, uh, Kippo and the Wonder Beast, or Craig of the Creek, any of these, it's like these, are, like, these are important things to talk about with people at every age level. And just because of somebody's age doesn't mean they won't understand. You may have to, you know explain it in more simple terms because you know a five-year-old's not going to have the vocabulary of a 30-year-old or whatnot right but that's what i mean when these shows respect their audience is they don't act like they can't understand these issues pick up on it exactly and you know kids are so damn perceptive it's scary more perceptive than most adults i know (laughs) yeah well it's because i I assume that i I haven't read any studies you ali you probably know more than i do but I, i assume that's because like they just have less to work with from the past. Like they're totally open to whatever they they pick up on. They haven't like closed well, things off. They're still they're still spongy. I was gonna say that's the exact thing, Tristan. It's the sponge thing. Like especially from yeah. like ages, like basically from birth to six, it's like the time when kids are the most spongy. It is crazy what these kids can like pair it back to you and like kind of digest and come back to you with later and you're just like oh whoa okay like i didn't think you would come to that conclusion on your own that's pretty amazing and also terrifying ah and when we were like okay kid what you just came up with took plato like 
15 years to write down. I actually, I we're getting really off topic, which I know is not new for us, but I want to relay this anecdote where one day we're talking about different insects, and we were talking specifically about beetles that day, and I was showing the kids different pictures of beetles. I'm like, oh, this one is like, you know, like a ladybug is a beetle because of these, it has these parts of its body. That's how we identify things as beetles. Oh, this one's a dung beetle. And one of the kids asked, like, you know, why is it called a dung beetle? And I explained to them what dung beetles do. I was like, well, you know, they're really big and they roll up big piles of dung, which, you know, are feces, aka poop. Cause it's poop. I, that's the thing, too, is like, I like to use the real, like, terms for these mm-hmm. things. Like, anywho. And so, and he's like, and I'm like, and what they do is they roll a big ball of dung. And, like, immediately the kid picked up and was like, oh, that's to show that he's, like, stronger and can get the female beetle. This kid's five. Yeah. Like, I'm like, gotta do how? one, kiddo. How? How did you do that? Like, dang. I didn't teach you that. Watched a lot of Planet Earth, maybe. <laughs> Probably. That, that's like the... <laughs> That's like the moral of every story in the in the Animal Kingdom. That, well, you see that that kid is aware of a fundamental force in the universe called the called the power of girls might be watching, <laughs> and it is the second most powerful force known to man, next to free T-shirts. Oh, I do love a free T-shirt. Right, the power of girls might be watching can inspire both stupidity and unbelievable success. Because uh, girls might be watching. So, speaking of watching girls, though... Um... <laughs> <laughs> that was probably the creepiest way you could have tried to get it back on track. <laughs> uh, but, in any case, uh, something that I we haven't touched on, which I really like, is um, the transformation sequences. When Adora transforms into... Uh, She-Ra both the one that they used for the first four seasons and then the new one she gets once she becomes um, mm-hmm. She-Ra mm-hmm. basically from the sore. It's like, were great. And they also made sure to not overuse them. Like sometimes she transforms into She-Ra without you seeing the full sequence. Sometimes yep. they let the full sequence just like air out. And yeah, the, the oh, I, want, se- I want to talk about that second form. I want to talk about that second form. Okay. Okay, so did you guys pick up on the fact that her second form incorporates design elements from Glimmer, Bo, and Catra? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. It's got it's got um was it Glimmer's like wavy wings, uh Bo's hearts, and then her new tiara is shaped like Catra's headpiece. <laughs> Tristan, I'm really my, glad my little that, like, Yuri loving heart couldn't take it when I saw that. I was like, I'm really glad that we're just on the same wavelength for like pretty much this whole episode. <laughs> just like sees Catcher Dora. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! When Catra said, when she said, Adora doesn't need me, not like I need her, I was like, oh, yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's that good Yuri shit. I love I mean, it. It's so, so it's so like I can't think of the right word. It's so I guess interesting is the only word I can use that so much of like Catra's antagonizing of Adora basically comes along the lines of like a lot it's of flirting. creepy year nothing without me, but like that is totally how Catra feels about herself is without Adora, no one gives a shit about me. I'm literally nothing. Like, fuck this whole world because nobody will, like, understand me and love me like I want her to love me. Can we can we also appreciate that Catra is the most cat-like, like, cat girl we've seen thus far in terms of, like, temperament and personality? Yeah, she's very prickly. <laughs> Delightfully prickly. Delightfully prickly, horrendously short-sighted, and... <laughs> terrible life choices. Oh. Uh, like, because it's like, it's just, it's, it's, the payoff is so worth it. I was really worried that it wasn't gonna, like, not yeah. like I didn't believe in them, but I was really, for me, a lot of what I saw coming from Catra, like, I found her really interesting, but especially after all the crap that she put Scorpia and Entrapta through, I was like, they better do a damn good job of redeeming her or else I'm gonna be fucking pissed. And they they do a pretty damn good job. They did a really good job. I have not seen that amazing of a redemption arc in a piece of media since Zuko. Yeah. And, yeah. And, oh, and, I, and I'm gonna say this thing um, that this show is great and I think that for some people it may be more special and they may enjoy it better than Avatar. But at least for me, and especially, and this isn't even nostalgia glasses. I'm rewatching it, and it's just like, Avatar's so good, guys. Um, y'all need to watch. If y'all haven't watched it, watch it. If you have watched it, watch it again. Um, the show is the 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 level of great, and it is insane. Um, but yeah, no, that we can talk about that. This is does redemption. Uh, is like you know on the same level as the Zuko redemption is is impressive and it was also necessary because again the show doesn't pretend that Catra didn't do bad things it makes her tackle it in sometimes very ugly personal ways that she has to wrestle with like she hurt people and again as we said that's that's an important thing it's an important thing to forgive people if you feel oh uh, uh, to, it's it's important to be able to show that forgiveness can happen if that person is willing to forgive you and if you're willing to do the work. Um, I think it's a good message for people who uh, have had bad things done to them and also good that's a message for people who have done bad things. Uh, the show is really radically positive in that way and I'm all about that. Awesome. Anybody else? Is there any, are there any other topics or categories you want to chat through? No, I feel I feel bad. I I definitely I know I definitely took us off the rails a lot and talked about a lot. I just the show means a lot to me, and like I'd said before, I really wish something like this had been on TV when I was a little kid. Yeah, you know, I'm, but I, I was thinking through that a little bit, like as we were going through, because you said it, I think towards the very beginning, Allie. It's like. I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think there was any show remotely even like this at all. No. No. And I was. There were like things that had its hints and like 
like I had talked about earlier, there are shows where you kind of have a character that you just latch on to because they're kind of coded that way. And there are definitely shows that tried really hard. Like, maybe it's just because it's been on my brain recently, but like, uh, J. Michael Straczynski tried in Babylon 5. I know Babylon 5 and She-Ra are like totally different things, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> Unless... media in the 90s at certain points tried and they weren't allowed to. And like, and like Tristan had talked about earlier, this didn't almost happen with She-Ra until the point where Noelle Stevenson was like, okay, I'm going to literally kill everybody in this show if you yeah. can't let me make them gay. Yeah, so, so the, the theory going around was that uh, Netflix would not let them confirm main characters. And any confirmed characters had to be side characters. Uh, hence why uh, Spinnerella and Natasha get almost zero screen time until the final season, despite the fact that they are on the fucking splash image at the end of the credit at the end of the title. Like they're they are on there for like all all the seasons and they get almost no screen time until the fifth season um so the theory goes that when they finally got greenlit for season five the writers went to netflix and was like and basically sat down and said either you let us confirm everybody because anybody we want because this is the final season or we will literally kill off every character how do you want this to go down you're already contractually obligated to give us the fifth season. I'm really glad that they caved in because holy shit, if Shira had actually ended with bury your gaze, I would have been so fucking angry. I know. That's why we need a sixth season. I just want I just I just want to see them happy together. I what? just why want, would they I don't even care if it's a slice of life like low impact like moe anime shit i just want more of them happy together <gasps> this might be a slightly this might be a rhetorical question but why would netflix be so against this for so long homophobia <laughs> okay okay so that was a rhetorical question <laughs> no <laughs> i'm being flip i'm being flippant yeah. but it's more like you know what maybe the individual people on netflix are cool with it or whatever but oh no but- what about all the families and the children who won't understand. You know what? Fuck them. There's a lot the of families, the children, the focus groups. Yeah. If you are sitting there at home going through Netflix but won't show your kids something just because it has the gaze, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hope you step on a goddamn Lego. season where Susan is sad and is like, I think I love Talia. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And then we can't have nice things. Barra, it is like one of the best pieces of speculative fiction ever in the world and I will literally rewatch Babylon 5 with you if you will watch it. Babylon 5 
Yeah, well, that's what yes. I meant about speculative fiction. It's like, nobody did that before in, like, regular-ass TV, no. especially sci-fi TV. Everybody's like, well, Game of Thrones did it first. No, fuck you, Babylon 5 did it right. first. And let's, let's also not, not forget that Babylon 5 also had Harlan Ellison for most of the writing for, like, every season. Now, I will say that the first season of Babylon 5 is rough. I love I love Jeffy Boy so much though. It is rough, but I love Jeffy so Boy. Like like they're almost not even characters in that first season. Like Ivanova's whole character arc is I'm Russian. Garibaldi's whole character arc is I get injured. I get injured and I like alcohol. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's that I will say that with a big huge fucking grain of salt, it's hard to go back and rewatch something from the nineties like Babylon Five because there's definitely kind of a cops are good vibe, but then there's this whole fucking thing about like fascist government and whatnot and standing up to fascists in the later mm-hmm. season and it's really fucking mm-hmm. good. And like I swear to fucking god, Babylon Five told the future. Yeah. It's okay. it is it is really eerie like rewatching that now being like oh man oh man also i just ah oh, that early 90s aesthetic i just love it to bits it's, it's so fucking good it's so good it's so goofy but there's something about it it's it's it, it, ellison I, harlan ellison actually show has that aesthetic in a lot of his stuff actually uh they've even made it even in the adventure game of i have no mouth and i'm a scream it still has a lot of those same aesthetic points and it's this aesthetic that is bizarrely bizarrely isn't the right term it's very simple but with really complex patterns I mean, I would attribute more of the excellence of the writing to, like, JMS himself, because he wrote the bulk of the show. Like, oh, Ellison, yeah. Ellison was, like, really the helpful and got. good, but also more of a consultant. Yeah. Like, he wrote, and I need to read it, but apparently a really, really amazing um, autobiography called, um, oh gosh, oh gosh, oh gosh, uh, bec- Wow, why can I not find it? It's really... You know why? Because it's a long title. Uh, <laughs> Becoming Superman. Yep. Where it talks about his, like, history in the Hollywood... Because he's had his fingers in all the cookie jars. He's done everything on everything. It's crazy. Yep. Yeah. He, yeah. And, Yeah. Uh, He's let's wonderful. Also, let's also not forget that the the Babylon Five has the best Starfighter design, like ever. In oh that it, yeah, with the Star Fury that was so well designed that NASA approached them and were like, "We want like your three D models because this is a design that actually works in zero gravity with Newtonian physics." Like ah. Oh. Sorry, oh. I know this is like not related to Shira at all. I think I just wanted an excuse to talk about Babylon Five. Because we probably will never have a Babylon Five spoiler cast. I think that's okay. I will say, okay, we may not do that, but there is a 
a podcast that I really enjoy called Chats, where they watch a different TV show for like each season. And I actually got into Chats because they did a watch through of Babylon 5 and all the movies, and they were both first time watchers. And it's really cool. Magellan and Alan have like great chemistry with each other. They're hilarious and like have a lot of really super thoughtful things to say about the show, especially because I think when they started their Babylon 5 season, it was like two years ago, I think at this point. So like, again, they're coming at it from like a very modern viewpoint, which is really cool. And I highly recommend that show. It's uh, not to advertise another podcast (gasps) on our podcast, (gasps) but... Oh my god, I forgot about Sequest DSV! <laughs> oh! Oh my god. That's goodness. taking me back. That was a show and a half. Oh my god. that I have just the weirdest memories of that show. Um, okay, Actually. okay, but Allie, but Allie. Mm-hmm. Alright, what if Madame Raz and Zothras teamed up? For the ultimate She-Ra Babylon 5 time travel fun times crossover. <laughs> what Zathras, What no. in the hell is this This show? is not the one. This is <laughs> not the one. <laughs> oh my god, I fucking love Zathras so much. There is actually a great moment where one of the listeners of chats had sent them a fan mail about how they dressed up as Zathras for a birthday party once. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Oh my god. We went all is, over the place. Here, is your present. No, it's not the one. This, your this is not the one. This is not the one. <laughs> Zathras matchmaking. Listen to Zathras. Zathras find the one for you. <laughs> God, I love Zathras. Any other thoughts oh. on Shira? It's good, and the power of lesbians will save the universe. <laughs> You heard it here first, everyone. Um, any other thoughts from Bear or Tristan? Season four Glimmer was the worst. Show's great. Watch it. Enjoy it. Um, we live in an era where there is, even though there's a lot of terrible things going on in the world and y'all should be working to make the world a better place, uh, we also happen to, uh, one way or show, to have access to some amazing animated shows. Um, and yeah, I would say that they're some of the best things that you can be watching and streaming are, are animated. And I would put them up against uh, nearly anything. Awesome. <clears throat> um, does anyone want to um, promote anything in particular? Allie, I'll watch Babylon Five. Babylon Five, okay. And Shira. And Shira. <laughs> and and put more gays in your fiction, and more trans people, and more people of color, and more black. Just make everything a whole lot better by not having it be a homogenous blob, please. Yeah. Uh, I'll watch for- your show if it's good. Also, please don't kill your gays, yeah. or I'll kill you. Just want to just want to shout out to all the other fellow peoples of culture out there uh, that they're is a specific subreddit for the best ship. It's great. R slash Captradora. Tristan, is there anything else that you want to uh, promote? Uh, I'm not really doing a lot on Twitch at the moment because 
Uh, I'm trying to get through Last of Us 2, and it's kind of a slog. Uh, oh, I did download... <laughs> um, so, quick little tangent. Uh, I did download Fate Grand Order. I have not spent any money on it yet. Uh, but I was really curious to see how uh, how a game can inspire so much love and yet so much salt at the same time. Uh, I discovered that there's actually an official like manga for Fate Grand Order that serves as kind of like a tutorial or intro to the game. And that and even that is full of salt. It's amazing. And I was like, I, I was curious, like, yeah, how can a game inspire so much love and so much salt? Um, so I've had it for about two days. I don't have a single goddamn waifu. Oh my god. <laughs> please, god. Please, RNG, Jesus, just give me a four-star waifu so I can use her in the campaign. Well, in my gacha game land, I got the brand new Samurai Boy on my first try. I'm a lucky ducky. And uh, literally, I, I will bless you with my gacha luck, Tristan. I'm bowing to the mic so that you may be blessed, my child. Like, like, I, like, I don't know if I used up. So, so when you start the game, when you start Fake Grand Order, it rolls you up a four star. So. So servants, your characters are rated one to five stars. Uh, basically, anything below a three star is completely unviable, uh, and it rolls you up a four star when you start the game. Um, and I don't know if I used up all my luck on that because it gave me Heracles, and holy crap, is he a beast? Um, Beef. <laughs> like, oh my god, no, he does so much damage. I have him. Uh, one of the things you can do is you can get support from other players and use some of their characters. Uh, and my level 30 Heracles is out damaging like level 100 five-star heroes. And I'm just like, oh, 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 he does so much damage. Holy shit. This boss, he took out this boss in one, one turn. God. Um, so I don't know if I used up all my luck getting him. Um, but literally, I have, I don't have any Saber class, I don't have any Rider class servants at all, and I keep getting guys. Literally the only female characters I have gotten are the ones that it gives you as part of the storyline. So what I I'm hearing here, and this is coming from me, don't play video games because they'll make you mad. I've yeah. never played a video game in my entire life. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Well, there's a big juicy one coming up next for our next spoiler cast. <laughs> juicy. Oh. Nice and juicy. Um, probably, yeah. No! Barry, you fool! You've said it! You said it's no. like it's like saying uh, fucking uh, Macbeth. Oh, no! Oh, no! I will say, I, I know we're, we're, we'll talk about it more on that episode, but now that I've finished it, I started looking online just to see what people's thoughts were on the game, and I'm really wishing I hadn't, and also feeling like people need hobbies. To chill out? 
Wait, well, is, here, is, is here, this here's from what's the going per- on. So wait, is this from the perspective of the game could have been better with it, or that just like having people be gay makes people mad? So, so most of what I have been seeing, and your mileage may vary, is this game was super overhyped. It's not actually all that good. I was promised more. Yeah, I just think people need to get over themselves as I read through these <laughs> these forum posts online. Yeah. I can tell you that I'm I'm about eleven hours in, and uh, it's not really fun to play. Yeah, we'll talk about it it's, more in it's that episode. A slog. No, for sure. I yeah. I I, I, I did, uh, Well, actually, although I have not, I'm not playing through it. Um, uh, Lexia, so they, there's a chance that, uh, that she may be down to, to join if we are, cause, um, but I'll certainly be just asking a bunch of questions about Last of Us, uh, and, cause, yeah, awesome. I do not have a PS, and, uh, certainly, certainly into, into that. Great. And Bear, is there anything else you want to promote? Uh, not at the moment. The, the moment is not yet right, but, uh, I've, I've, when we're talking about The Last of Us, I believe that is when we'll when 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 that will be going down. Okay. Um, for my end, you can find this podcast as well as the seventy-seven other episodes of this podcast on our website, spoilermedia.net. Um, you can go on there to find out links to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, um, most popular podcast apps, as well as the RSS feeds. And you can also leave us a, a note. There's a contact form on there if you want to ask us a question or recommend that we play or watch something for an episode in the future. Yeah, we would love recommendations. I mean, believe me, as you see, we all have plenty of things that we cast about, but Ypsilanti people, in between <laughs> finally realizing that y'all love each other, and not just as friends, and that maybe one of you should dump their terrible partner who uh In crime. Yes, yes, who never who never uh, shows up right on time at, when you're like robbing the bank in Ypsilanti um, with the getaway car, uh maybe you should also suggest we do an episode, like on the Thin Man. I love those movies. Awesome. Well, until next time. Be kind to one another, and we will talk to you soon. Amen to that. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Every now and then I get a little bit helpless, and I'm lying like a child in your arms.
There's nothing I can do A total eclipse of the heart